4,000 years ago, sellers started to congregate in large marketplaces, or souks. Why? Wouldn't they have been better off going somewhere alone so that they could get a monopoly price? And in those markets, and still today, we sell lettuce by the head, but diamonds by very small units of weight. Why? This is Mike Munger, the knower of important things, because I know that the answer is transaction costs. Welcome to Tidy C. I thought they'd talk about a system where there were no transaction costs, but it's an imaginary system. There always are transaction costs. When it is costly to transact, institutions matter, and it is costly to transact. I asked a question at the outset. Let's suppose it's 3,000 years ago. You're working on a small farm in what we now think of as the Middle East. You spend the whole year growing grain with the help of all your family and neighbors. You do your best to produce as much as you can, and you end up with quite a bit. You have three sacks of grain, which you're hoping to exchange for all of the things that your family is going to be able to buy that they need for the coming year. Now, it seems like if you want to get the highest price that you should go and stand in the middle of a field where no one else is selling grain, because then you will be the monopolist. You'll be the only seller. Well, maybe you go out there for one day, nobody shows up. No one, in fact, even knows that you're selling grain. They just think you're a crazy person in the middle of a field. In fact, basically no one then or now takes that approach to selling things. The question is why? The answer is transaction costs. People do something that's actually kind of surprising. They take their grain or their electronics products or their groceries and they sell them at a large marketplace where many other people are selling the same thing. Why would it be that I would go someplace where there's more competition? And the answer is there's much lower transactions cost for people who want to buy and sell things because they know that there will be other of those things available. And I have some idea about what the price would be because I can very quickly and at low cost check the price of other sellers. So that principle of the souk also was the basis of the Sears catalog in the 19th and 20th century. And Amazon, the big seller of almost everything in the 21st century. Now, I've argued that there's actually three different aspects of transactions cost. Next week, we'll talk about the history of the concept of transaction cost and the different categories that others have argued for. But I think the simplest is these three, triangulation, transfer, and trust. Triangulation is that we have to find each other. We have to be able to identify the products that are available for sale and the people that want to buy them. Transfer is we have to be able to deliver the product and make the payment. And trust means that we have to assure compliance with the agreement that we've made. And this can actually be very complicated because even relatively apparently simple transactions have many different aspects. Having to write a contract and enforce to make sure that the other person has performed their terms of the contract is very expensive in terms of time. So the way to think about it is that voluntary transactions take place. Voluntary transactions take place. And what I mean is that they require a context. That context determines whether the transaction is possible. So the place, and I'm making air quotes, which is great podcast work, the place that a transaction takes place is some kind of platform. And a platform is an arrangement that reduces triangulation, transfer, and trust costs. 
Now suppose that I have a widget and this widget is worth a dollar to me. Suppose you are somewhere else and you want a widget and you would pay $5 for a widget. Now, if I were to ask in an economics class, what do we expect to happen next? Most people would say, well, there should be a non-empty bargaining space because the seller will take any price over a dollar and the buyer will accept any price under $5, which means that there's a surplus created by the exchange of $4. To which I say, that's nuts. The buyer doesn't know that the seller has a widget available for sale. The seller doesn't realize that this buyer would pay $5. They've never met. They have no way of communicating. Many of the institutions that we see, many of the arrangements that we see around us that seem odd, that seem hard to explain based on a classical zero transactions cost economic kind of perspective, quickly come into focus, that become crystal clear once we start to think in terms of transactions cost. Which brings me to the second question I posed at the outset. Why is it that we sell lettuce by the head, that is by the piece, where we sell meat by the pound and we sell diamonds by little tiny fractions of weight called carrots? Well, the answer is transactions cost. And one of the most famous economists that had worked on this problem was Joram Barzell. Joram Barzell was a University of Chicago economics PhD employed for most of his career at the University of Washington in Seattle. One of his most famous papers was Measurement Costs and the Organization of Markets, which he published in 1982. He died just in late 2022, quite recently, but up until the end, he was still working. He finished the third edition of his textbook, Economic Analysis of Property Rights, co-authored with Doug Allen. Here's the way to think about measurement costs. To the buyer, all costs are transaction costs. To the buyer, all costs are transaction costs. If you've ever had an economics class, you know that demand curves slope downward. So if I can charge a lower price, we expect the buyer to purchase more. If the seller can charge a lower price, we expect buyers to purchase more. However, if I, as the seller, can reduce the transactions cost of the exchange, the problems of triangulation, transfer, and trust, I can also sell more of the product precisely because demand curves slope downward. The problem is impersonal exchange. What we would like to do if we want an efficient economy is to get to the point where exchange is impersonal. Now, uh, Douglas North, who I will probably mention pretty much every uh, week of this podcast, defined markets, in fact, as a set of institutions that reduce the transaction cost of impersonal exchange. Impersonal exchange means that we don't have to have repeat business. I don't have to know who you are. You don't have to know who I am. We can still undertake this transaction with very little cost. So if I go into a Walmart and I buy a piece of electronics gear and it's sealed inside a box, I then go to the cashier. I give the cashier a little plastic card. The cashier runs that through a uh, magnetic reader, gives me back the card, and I go on my way. I have no idea if what is in the box is what it says on the outside of the box. And the cashier doesn't really know if I'm going to pay uh, what I've promised to pay given the card, except that there's a bunch of things operating in the background that neither of us even know about that assure that we can uh, trust the terms of this transaction. In fact, probably someone in China or Thailand, somewhere in Eastern Asia, made this product in a factory having no idea who, if anyone, would ever buy it. 
And then it was shipped here on a container ship by people who had didn't know the contents of what was in that container box. It was then unloaded and shipped all according to a set of procedures that we just kind of dismissively call the supply chain. Well, the supply chain is a way of reducing the transactions cost of every part of this exchange to the point where there is a tradable surplus, where the seller can sell it at a price that is enough greater than the price I'm willing to pay, including all of the costs of inconvenience and transaction costs that a value is created. The seller gets enough money to be able to pay off all the upstream suppliers and all the people that have worked to reduce the transactions cost of this exchange. Well, Joram Barzell pointed out that measurement costs are a way of thinking about the problems that we have of enforcement. And uh, he was Israeli. He had a pretty strong Israeli accent. He was born in Jerusalem and actually served, uh, he was too young, but served in the, the Israeli Defense Forces before he came to the United States. But he would act as if he was holding two things. He, this hand, he has lettuce. And on the other hand, he would have diamonds and then would say, we sell lettuce by the head. We sell diamonds by tiny little amounts of weight. Why don't we sell lettuce by weight? And the answer is, given the cost of the lettuce itself, the additional transactions cost of measuring and enforcing the uh, charging by the ounce for lettuce is just not worth it, whereas it is for diamonds. So the notion that we should think in terms of optimality, that we should think of products, and I intentionally use widgets, which is an abstraction. Joram Barzell would say it makes no sense to think about widgets. The properties of the product itself play a big role in determining the level of transactions cost in exchanging the product. So economists want to abstract away from all that, that idea of impersonal exchange. We just want to get rid of all of these problems of transactions cost. Now, there's a, and I'll put a link to it, there was an interesting article by my friend Brian Albrecht, who is at the International Center for Law and Economics, about the implications of the work of Joram Barzell for considering transactions cost, and I'll, I'll put that up on the website. Well, now it's time for the Twedge, this week's economics joke. This week's economics joke is a classic. It is the joke about the physicist, the chemist, and the economist who are trapped on a desert island, and they find a case of canned beans that has washed up. The cans are intact. They can still be eaten. They're very hungry. And so the physicist, the chemist, and the economist argue about what to do. The physicist says, well, what we can do is if we, we have, we've made a fire, we'll put the can in the fire right by the edge, just to the point where we can calculate when the can will burst open, but not spew the contents of the beans all over so that we can eat them. Because I, as a physicist, know how to make that calculation. And the chemist said, no, no, that's crazy. We have all this salt water and we have enough food for another day or two. What we'll do is we'll put a small amount of salt water on the cans, we'll allow it to dry. That will pretty quickly, within just a couple of days, oxidize or rust the top of the can. We'll then be able easily to punch through it and we'll be able to eat the beans. And the economist said, no, none of that makes any sense. Just let's assume we have a can opener. Now, that joke supposedly was first told by Paul Samuelson, the famous mathematical economist, and it's a way of telling jokes on economists because we do often make a lot of assumptions. But I think it is particularly relevant for the problem of transaction costs. 
whenever we think about the way that a firm is going to act, and in fact, this is in, in economics, this is actually called the theory of the firm. The theory of the firm says that what the owners of the firm will do is to use what's called a production function to combine the inputs, capital and labor, in optimal combinations, and then use what's called the cost function to make sure that the way that the output is being produced is the minimum cost combination of capital and labor given all the prices. Now, in fact, we don't know any of those things. And if you were to ask an entrepreneur, they would find that approach to the problem of the theory of the firm to be laughable. Second thing that we do with the theory of the firm is to say that the firm faces a demand curve, which is a schedule of all of the prices that consumers are willing to pay. And then we use calculus to show that there is an optimal price quantity uh, combination, which given the costs of inputs, the production function, and the demand for outputs, give the firm a determinate choice about how much to produce and how much to sell. Well, again, the answer is, that's not right. Nobody knows any of those things. The answer is that transactions costs prevent us from being able to make those judgments with any kind of mathematical certainty. So all of the real problems that entrepreneurs and business people face, those are just assumed away by the equivalent of, well, let's just assume we have a can opener. Because if we had a can opener, we could open the can of beans. If business people actually knew in advance the optimal combination of labor and capital, the prices of those things, and the exact schedule of declining quantities demanded by consumers given changes in price, yes, this would be an easy calculus problem. But we can't assume a can opener. What we have to do instead is worry about the problem of transactions cost. Well, that brings me to the final portion uh, from here on out. I'm always going to end each show with a homework problem or question uh, for next time. And this time, the question that I got was from the email, which is just the answer is transactioncost.email at gmail.com. That is T-A-I-T-C dot email at gmail.com. So you can send your questions there. I got this from Nathaniel S. Are congestion taxes an effective way to overcome transactions costs pertaining to efficient use of roads? Probably not the best, he says. There is no externality with congestion because everyone stuck in traffic has moved to the harm. Those who could be held liable for causing congestion are not those who pay for a variable toll, but those who come later. Well, I'll put this question up on the website for today, and we're going to take that question up at the beginning of next time. But the answer to this question, as we'll see, is pretty much the same answer that there is to all questions. Because I am the knower of important things, and I know that the answer is transaction cost. This is Mike Munger. I'll talk to you again next time on Tidy C.